Hebrews chapter 2 and the verse 3 and 4 I want to leave with you tonight. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. There is a very important word that I want to highlight tonight. It is the word confirmed. This great salvation spoken by the Lord was confirmed. The confirmed salvation. We have seen that the apostle in verses 1 to 4 of this chapter has broken off into an exhortation. He was teaching in chapter 1. He was saying at the end of chapter 1 how Christ is greater than angels. He hasn't finished that theme that Christ is greater than angels. In fact, he goes on to it again in verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. So he continues the theme of chapter 1 in verse 5 of chapter 2. But he has broken off for an exhortation. And he does this frequently to exhort us. Because he's preaching. He's delivering a sermon. Not just giving a lecture. A sermon has exhortation. And so we're in the exhortation part. And this exhortation, this appeal, it seems to have been brought out partly by the last word of chapter 1. What's the last word in chapter 1? Salvation. The angels minister to the heirs of salvation. That's where he finished And then he goes into the exhortation. And it's as if he is saying, are you an heir of salvation? Are you being careful about this salvation? Are you sure that you are saved? Are you one of the ones that the angels are ministering to? Do you love this great salvation? Do you believe it? Have you received it? Or are you careless about it? And that's where the word comes in again in the midst of the exhortation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So it's this salvation that he's exhorting about. Appealing concerning. So do you believe it? Have you received it? Are you being careless about it? Are you taking it serious? That's what he's saying. Don't let it slip. Don't be neglecting the message. Don't be mistreating this great salvation doctrine. Is it precious to you, salvation? Is it something dear to you? So we've been considering why we have to take this great salvation seriously. It is the message of the Son of God. 
a message about Christ, and therefore we dare not let it slip. We dare not drift from it. We have to believe it. We have to love it. You have to because it's the message of our great salvation. Something essential, something sinners need. It's not a philosophy merely. If it was a philosophy, if it was just an idea floating around like other ideas, then it wouldn't be so serious to neglect. But we're talking about salvation. We're talking about being right with God. We're talking about having sins forgiven. We're talking about not going to hell. We're talking about having everlasting life. We're talking about deliverance. That's what salvation is. It's about deliverance. Deliverance from sin. Deliverance from guilt. Deliverance from the dominion and power of Satan. Deliverance from the damnation of hell. It's about deliverance. Now that's something you can't neglect. You have to take it serious. Because it's It's a great salvation. So this is what the Apostle is saying here. You have to give it continual consideration, this New Testament message. And another reason why you have to do that is because, well, if the Old Testament people of God, if they were judged and they didn't escape, and they were chastened for sinning against the law, and being careless concerning the law, how are we going to escape if we are careless with the New Testament message? If we treat it the way they treated the Old Testament, how are we going to escape? If they didn't escape in the Old, how were we in the New? You don't want to perish in the wilderness of unbelief like they did. You don't want to be carried far off into exile, far away from the fellowship and from God, in unbelief the way they were carried off. You wouldn't want that. If they were in the Old Testament... What's going to befall us if we're negligent and careless in the new? How are we going to escape? We'll be chastened too. The Lord will deal with us as well. So you can't neglect this message. There's another reason, however, in the text. And that is what we want to deal with tonight. You can't neglect this great salvation and be careless with it because it is Authentic. It is true. It is the truth itself. It is the truth from heaven. It has been confirmed by God. God has not only given it. He has put his all into it. If God has put his all into this great salvation. And telling us about it. Then you need to treat the Lord with respect. And be careful with it. And believe it. And love it. And think about it and embrace it all the time. Because it's God's salvation. And it's God's message of salvation. And God himself has given that message. So we need to take it seriously. Because God has confirmed it. That's what the apostle is saying here. In the verse before us. How can we escape if we neglect which was spoken by the Lord. It was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God himself bearing them witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his will. You can't neglect a message like that that had such confirmation. Whenever you look at this confirmation, even at a casual glance, 
you see that it is something that the Trinity is deeply involved in. Do you see that? In verse 2, the old was the, the word spoken by angels. The angels were mediating at the giving of the law. They were active in that. But you see, when the new came, it's the whole trinity. The whole trinity. God sent the angels, that's true. God used the angels. God was giving the message by the angels. But you see here, it's not mediation through angels. It's God himself in his three persons. God in his sacred three persons. The Trinity comes down to give the full orbed gospel. To reveal and confirm it. Do you see that? Verse 3 began to be spoken by the Lord. That's the Lord Jesus. Verse 4. God also, that's the Father. Bearing them witness. With the signs and the wonders and divers miracles. And the gifts of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is there too confirming it. The three persons. This is a Trinitarian passage. This is a Trinitarian confirmation. The Trinity has done this. Now the New Testament as you know does not use the word Trinity. That's an ancient word the Christian church has brought in to describe the doctrine of the three persons that is revealed in the word of God. So that this gospel salvation, this great message is associated with the Trinity ministering the gospel to us. So we Christians have not got the law merely at the hand of angels. We have that too in the Old Testament. But we've received the new from the hands of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you dare not neglect that message. This is very clearly seen at the start of our Lord's ministry. At the start of the ministry of our Lord and at the end of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you see the Trinity. Now, angels were, I believe, present at both places as well, at, at the baptism of Christ, though we're not told that. And also at the ascension of Christ, which we are told the angels were present. Angels were there too at both places, we are sure, but they're not part of the mediation of the message. It's God Himself. And at baptism of Christ, when he began the public ministry and the beginning of the declaration of his message, you see that the focus is on God. God, the giver and the bringer of salvation through this person, Jesus Christ. The focus is on God, the triune God, right at the start. And at the start, as Jesus is baptized and the waters of Jordan come upon him, what happens? Heaven is opened and the Father speaks. He gives confirmation to his Son. This is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased in him. Hear him. The Father's confirmation as the Son commences his ministry and the Spirit comes down also in the symbol of a dove and rests and abides upon him. 
and never leaves him again. The Messiah, the triune God, it's all seen there. This is the Shekinah glory. This is the same God that came down on Mount Sinai. But now being revealed in the sacred three persons. God speaking himself by his Son and his Spirit. It's God's salvation. The sent one, the Son, the sender, the Father, the gifter and equipper, the Holy Spirit. You cannot be negligent of that. You can't be half-hearted about that. I mean, you don't be half-hearted about God coming down and saying it. But you doubly can't be half-hearted about God coming down at the baptism of his son. When he begins to speak in a public fashion. The sacred three... And then at the end, at the ascension, as Jesus is about to ascend, he says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Again, the, the one divine name, the sacred three, the continuing of the message of the salvation message, this gospel message, but confirmed by God. Always accompanied by the confirmation of God. And at the baptism of the disciples. The acknowledgement of that one God as three. So this shows that it is genuine. Authentic. From above. From heaven. From God. God taught it. God confirmed it. God established it. God gave all the proof about it. He himself shows its genuineness and its authenticity and therefore you, you can't let it slip. How could you let something like that slip? Let us look at the words of the Holy Spirit in verses 3 and 4 in a little more detail. How is direct and immediate first-hand divine authority seen in this? Well, first of all, it was spoken by the Lord. Began to be spoken by the Lord. The Lord himself. This is the Lord Jesus. He, the Son of God, he spoke it. The one that Paul has told us about in chapter 1. Who upholds the world. Who purged our sins. Who made all things. He spoke it. He spoke it in his human nature. He's the Lord who spoke it. Now there be many voices speaking it ever since. In his name. But at the first, at the beginning, it's spoken by the Lord himself. Well, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John tell us all about that. They're, they're the witnesses. It was the mouth of the Lord. Just like in chapter 1, verse 2 of Hebrews. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. It's the Son speaking the gospel, this great salvation. This revelation. And from that time, when he was baptized, Jesus began to preach the gospel and to say, Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's present. It's present in me. The one who has come. You have to receive me. You have to receive the message that I bring to come into this kingdom. 
It's at your door. But if you reject me, you'll not know the kingdom. You'll not experience the kingdom. You'll not enter into the kingdom. And so he brings it. And he declares it. And we can't neglect it. How could you neglect that? He's the entrance to the kingdom. You can't be careless with that. So he began to speak it. And he's not just Jesus. He's the Lord. It's the Lord who's speaking it. Not a mere man. But one who is the Lord of life. The living Lord. The Lord of glory. The one who manifested himself to be the Lord. In his resurrection. And in his position now at the right hand of God. It's that Lord who spoke it. He who is Lord and Christ spoke it. You can't be careless with that. He is our Lord and our God, as Thomas said. And so he can be trusted, and he is to be trusted. And what he says is not to be treated coldly or half-heartedly. And so unbelief is abominable concerning this, because the Lord spoke it. And he came down and humbled himself to do so. And he not only spoke this great salvation, he obtained it. And it's all in himself. He made purification for our sins. And so you have to listen to him. You have to believe him. You have to receive him. It began to be spoken by the Lord. There are people who say, well, I never heard him. I never saw him. It's fine that he spoke, but but I didn't hear what he said. I wasn't there when he was among men. And and that's true. And Paul is acknowledging that. He came before we were born. He came before we came into the earth. I mean, it's impossible for us to have heard what he said. It was 2,000 years ago. It's history. It's in the past. And as well as that, if we hadn't been born then... What good would that have been? Because we're over here in this island and it's not easy to get over to Israel and especially in those days. And if it had been the same time period, we couldn't have been in the same space. It's not possible that every human being could hear the Lord and see the Lord as he carries out the historic redemptive work. That's impossible. God didn't ordain that. It can't be ordained because salvation is a history thing. In the past, Historic redemptive acts. So yes, we we didn't see the Lord. We we didn't hear the Lord. That's true. That's impossible. Which is why Scripture is so essential, so important. Because Scripture brings us, God's Word brings us to that time and space. So that we are encountered by this great salvation through the Scriptures. So there were ones who heard the sermon of Paul's who were in that very same condition as ourselves. And Paul is speaking about them, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Us, we didn't hear him. Paul didn't hear him. That second generation of believers, they, they didn't hear him. And even if they were first generation believers, they're they're not another part of the world. And they didn't hear him. They didn't see him. But they heard the witnesses of him. They confirmed it. The historic witnesses. 
They heard the apostles. You see, they had this apostolic confirmation. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And that's why the Lord Jesus Christ was very careful to bring around himself all his apostles, these twelve apostles, these witnesses. He collected them. He had them living with him for three years. They heard him. They saw his works. They witnessed everything. They're the confirmers to us in their witness, which was eventually written in Scripture. So that they were gathered for the purpose of confirmation, for the purpose of witness. So it's not cunningly devised fables that we have, you know, some people getting into a room and getting together for a couple of days and forming a conspiracy of deceit in the New Testament scriptures. That's not how it happened. These were witnesses who lived with them for three years, who saw it all, who took time, had to be trained. They were living witnesses. And most of them died for their witness too. So it was not a witness of deceit and lies, but a witness grounded in truth and history and observation. As Luke says, it was delivered unto them who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. And Jesus himself said to his apostles, you shall bear witness of me. You're my witnesses, he said. As well as that, these men were promised inspiration. They were promised the Holy Spirit. They were promised the gift of miracles. They were promised the power to be infallible witnesses. He said, it will be given you by the Holy Spirit what to say. He'll bring everything to your remembrance. Because we're just fallible men. They're witnesses who forgot. They're witnesses who couldn't remember everything that Jesus says. But Jesus promised them aid. He promised them the Holy Spirit. He says, he'll bring everything to your remembrance. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And you'll carry on my word. And you'll infallibly relate my word. Revealed in my works and also revealed in my words. And they did. And we have that. So God wasn't going to leave this message up in the air. You know, the sun come along give it, and then it's up in the air because, you know, after that it's just fallible men who, who send it on. No, no, he chose them carefully. He gave them the Holy Spirit. He promised them inspiration. He says, my Father, your words, I've, I've given them to them, and they're going to keep them, and they're going to spread them, and they're going to send on this salvation message. It's too great a message to be left merely in the hands of fallible men. It's from heaven. It involves human witnesses, that is true, of necessity, because it's historic, past, but men, as we know, that were promised the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to the revelation through God's Son, these are the witnesses that God the Son has raised up, and they were supernaturally aided by the promised Holy Spirit, whom he sent to them. And we have the Gospels and the New Testament writings, the, the, the word of the Son to us. And then, in actual fact, they passed on the revelation of the Son. It's not a case of the Son spoke and then they spoke and that was something additional, something extra. Now, that, it wasn't the case of that. Everything that they say is the Son's revelation. Paul has already said that in chapter 1. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. 
He's the last word. He's the final word. It's not that the apostles come along and they put something extra above and beyond what the Son... No, it's all the Son's revelation. Including the apostolic word. It's the revelation of the Son of God. You can't neglect that. You dare not be careless with that. You can't throw your New Testament and say that that's just, that's just writings of men. No, it's not. That's the Son of God speaking. Don't let it slip. Don't let it slip. Don't neglect it. And so, uh, the Son speaking and these witnesses, but not alone, because it says, and what does it say there in chapter 2, verse 4, God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. In other words, God didn't leave them on their own. This is God the Father. He didn't leave them on their own. He's working with them. He's, he's helping them. He's giving them their miracles. He's giving them all these, these works to do to confirm that they're telling the truth. And so the apostles could work miracles. And they had the gifts of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit's present too. It's God's message, you see. And so the miracles of Christ and of the apostles attested to the divine authority of this so great salvation. There were miracles at this revelation. The dead were raised. The lame leaped with joy. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. Marvelous things happened whenever Christ came. In the New Testament revelation. And that connects us with the old. Because didn't marvelous things happen at the old too? Were there miracles then as well? Do you remember what happened to the firstborn in Egypt? Do you remember the ten plagues that accompanied Moses? How, the, how there were the signs and wonders there too. At the giving of that revelation in the old. How at Sinai there was the smoke and the earthquake. And the presence of God and the people saw all the signs and wonders and they were terrified and afraid. Didn't the Red Sea open? Didn't the River Jordan? Wasn't it stopped by the power of God at the giving of the old? There were miracles there too. But the new had to have more fitting miracles. Not smiting people dead. Not turning river into blood and plagues and curses that identify the Sinai revelation, but the raising of the dead, the making the blind to see, the taking away of the leprosy, the, the revelation of grace, the revelation of the gospel, all these signs and wonders telling us it's a so great salvation that's from above, from the God of grace. And so the Son and the apostles, they healed the sick and they made all these Deeds of kindness to be given in power. Now notice how the miracles are described. Signs and wonders. Miracles. And gifts of the Holy Ghost. The apostle uses four words here. They're signs. Does God give the signs? You see the apostle, he can't raise the dead. The apostle can't make the lame to walk. It's only the power of God can do that. And these are signs. What's a sign? A sign points to something. It's showing us something else. And the sign is, this is God. This is God from heaven. This is God speaking this gospel message. This is God's word. 
The sign, the work of miracle is the sign that it's God's presence. And so they had these signs that God was working with them. That it was his salvation message. And their wonders, because they're beyond nature. You don't see them every day. It's not every day you touch a man and the leprosy, away it goes. That, that doesn't happen every day. That's not normal. Technology can't do that. All mankind, science, advances can't do that. That's a wonder. And a wonder is a power of God, a miracle of God. They did wonders because God's confirming this great purging of sins that Jesus Christ has wrought on our behalf. And their miracles, because they show its divine power, not tricks, not, not as it were science and some other mirrors and twisting and turning, no. Miracles. God working with them. God confirming. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And one of the marvelous gifts of the Holy Spirit was on the day of Pentecost. You remember how the Spirit came down and all the foreigners were, all the people from all the different parts of the world at the Passover, as happens in Israel at that time. All the different languages, different tongues. You know, at Babel it was all disrupted and all the different tongues and people had to go away in different parts of the world. But at the Passover they're all coming together again. And now it's God coming down. Not Babel anymore, it's Zion now. It's God coming down now. And the Holy Spirit and the languages are dealt with. And we can hear people in our own language. And the gifts of tongues. This is a sign. This is a wonder. This is a miracle. This is God's salvation for the nations. This is God's salvation unto all the earth for all peoples. How can you neglect that? There were the signs of the Holy Spirit there. You can't let that slip. And so this is what Paul is saying. This is what this all means. That, that the salvation has come. That the salvation is near. That this great salvation is right at your door. You have it. You have it now. There's nothing more to come. You have it now. The great salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't be waiting for something else to come. There's nothing else to come. You're not going to get a second chance. If you die, that's it. That's it. You have the great salvation now. There's nothing more. So don't dare neglect it. Don't be careless with it. Don't be filled with unbelief concerning it. It's all here now. It's at your door. What does the Bible say? Now is the day of salvation. Not the millennium. It's now. The kingdom has come now. It's at your door. It's knocking at your door now. You need to enter in now. Now is the accepted time. The apostles say it's now. But now, today, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, like in the Old Testament, like those in the wilderness did. No, today, you have to believe, you have to come, you have to come to the Father through the Son, now. So don't be negligent. Don't be careless. You won't get a second chance after death. This is it. This is the full revelation. And there's nothing more. How will you escape if you let that slip? You can't. So believe the gospel.
Embrace the gospel. Love the gospel. And walk humbly every day in the marvelous light of it. And treat it as Christ your all.